Russian army bombed the center of Kherson on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, killing at least 10 people and wounding over 50 people. Putin and Lukashenko are preparing a new attempt to attack Kyiv. Zelensky visited the front line in Bakhmut and made the first, since February 24th, trip abroad to Washington and Warsaw. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. This is an overview of key events and trends in and around Ukraine on December 18th to December 25th, 2022. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Kharkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist who is heading international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So let's start. We are making this episode on 24th of December. This is a Christmas evening for many Christians around the world. Ukraine is now turning into celebrating Christmas on this day. Uh, the Greek Catholics and Catholics, Roman Catholics, have the tradition of celebrating on this day, 24th, 25th of uh, December, while the uh, Orthodox I usually celebrate with the, well, has a tradition to celebrate it uh, with the Moscow Church on the 7th, uh, 6th, 7th of January. So we are now maybe gradually will be getting to this date with the, with the rest of the world, Christian world, uh, not only Catholics, by the way, but also Protestants and Orthodox. But uh, Russians have shown, has, have shown today that they don't give a shit, uh, sorry for this expression, about the holidays, and they made a massive artillery strike on Kherson. And this was horrible because the uh, this was a, a strike with Grad, with multi-rocket launch systems, which are absolutely, you, you cannot intercept them through air defense systems. And uh, they targeted actually the places where there are mass of people, the markets, the, the, the center of Kherson. And according to the information we have now, the evening on 24th of December, there are at least 10 people dead and uh, over, I think, 55 wounded, including 18 people in a very difficult conditions. That means that they can die, unfortunately. So this is uh, this is what's going on. Russia declares it wants to desatanize Ukraine. There was this concept several months ago, desatanization uh, as um, continuation of this uh, denazification, demilitarization. So desatanization, and now the strike on the religious holiday. What does it mean to you? This is really tragic day for, for Ukraine, for Ukrainians. Uh, this act was already qualified as terroristic attack by Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine. <clears throat> But what is clear for me is that what we already discussed in one of our podcasts, this is a revenge act. This is a punishment by war. So uh, we do remember that Russians left Kherson more than 
one month ago, almost two months ago on the 11th of November. So it makes one month and a half. So they left Kherson and they are not able, to, because they were not able to keep it. But uh, we all knew and we already discussed that after they leave the Kherson, they will be they will be a place for revenge. So what they are doing now, they're just trying to kill people, trying to bring even more destruction to the city. They are absolutely incapable to to regain the control over Kherson. So, so this is clear terroristic attack. And this is also maybe in a way a reply to to the events of this week because we've seen Zelensky being a kind of winner in this uh, in this battle. I mean, uh, visit of Zelensky to, to Bakhmut, first of all, so courageous act and very difficult for Putin to accept because he's personally unable to be somewhere closer to the front line, right? And then Zelensky moving, uh, traveling abroad to see Joe Biden and to have this public speech in front of uh, American Congress, very, very successful speech, and a very powerful ally yes, for, for Ukraine. And Putin at the time visiting Belarus and talking to Lukashenko, president who is not recognized by a number of important states. And so this uh, asymmetry which we were observing during this week, maybe this led Russians just to create this kind of revenge. So they are trying to kill Ukrainians just to to, to show that they are still capable to to make war. But this is not war. This is not war. This is simple terrorism in fact. So they are trying to show that stop kidding and we are we are serious, we'll be continued this war will be forever. I listened with a lot of attention what Putin was uh, telling to Russian journalists, by the way. He had a kind of uh, press conference with journalists a couple of days ago, during these days, maybe one day ago. And uh, it seems that and some journalists were asking about the future of this uh, special military operation, and they called this war, by the way. And his response was like, we are going to continue what we are doing and we will succeed, whatever it costs. So it means that they are preparing this war to last for for a long time. And with such ex- such attacks against Kherson as today, they are showing that they are still capable to kill Ukrainians. There was this phrase during this press conference or something like uh, uh, talk with with people, with journalists. Um, I think in Russian it's like kurochka pozornishko klyot. Yes, right? in, exactly. Yeah. So a chicken um, eats uh, grain by grain. I don't know yeah. how to seed by seed. How did you understand that phrase? Well, I understood it is that Russia has patience and Russia will uh, continue and Russia will progress very slowly, but it progr- it will progress. But you can read it actually as neglect of uh, of the life of soldiers because the soldiers are compared with the seeds that the chicken. It's you know so this is this is the level of comparison. I mean, we don't care about our soldiers. We will send, you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands, and will gradually. This is the seed that we will sacrifice, and and, and gradually, you know, we will we'll progress. But yes, but at the same time, 
This is a kind of contradiction because when he said that we are will be regaining control, regaining some territories at the same rhythm as they are doing now, so this is extremely slow, right? So we do remember that their their last military achievement took place in summer, somewhere back in July. It was Lysychansk, right? They are uh, close to Bakhmut for many months already. If I'm not mistaken, starting from May, they started to attack territories close to Bakhmut in late May, and we are in December. So it, it makes more than half in a year uh, just for them to progress, I don't know, a couple of uh, hundreds of meters, several, maybe several kilometers, right? But this is not about, this is not Pazernushko. It means they, they're extremely slow and they are paying extremely high price for that. Yeah, but they don't care about the price and I think they really want to... Um kind of they this is something we also discussed uh, on this podcast uh, time is time on ukraine side or on russia side because russia thinks time is on its side because it thinks that sooner or later ukraine will get tired if ukraine if ukraine is not is not getting tired the west will get tired to support it uh, instead russia has significant resources to military resources, human resources to mobilize people. And we, we have seen the news that Russia increases the, um, the, its army significantly, uh, I think, to, I, I don't remember, to two and a half million people, something uh, uh, like yes, that? Yes, no, one million and three, 1.3 million, if I'm not mistaken. But this is not about regular army. This is about all, all the military forces. They are, at least what we do know, that they are preparing at least what was said by Valery Zaluzhny a week ago. Uh, he said that uh, the Russians were preparing another army, a different kind of army, and the figure was 200,000 people, new people, fresh people, preparing for presumably new attack, probably could be employed around, even around Kiev, as he said in February, or maybe if we are unlucky, maybe even in January, or maybe with some luck it'll be in March. So they are preparing new troops. That's, that's clear. Let's, let's talk about this. This is connected with Belarus. But uh, uh, on Kherson, one of the things that Russian propaganda is saying is that, look, it was better with Kherson uh, when Kherson was under Russian control. Nobody was shelling it. You were living in a, in a more or less peaceful city. Look how bad it is when Russians go away from the city. And if you if you think about this, what what they are saying, you see the the whole depth of the cynicism of the absurdity in this because they are actually saying, okay, when we were controlling Kherson, Ukrainian army was not shelling the city, and therefore it was more or less fine. It, when we left Kherson, we started shelling the, the city, and therefore uh, it, it became a nightmare. Otherwise, so, they are saying either you are with us or, or under us, or, or you are bombed. So, so by 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 saying by trying to say that it is better with us, they are actually saying it is not better with them because who is shelling Kherson right now? There nobody nobody has any doubt. So we will try to visit Kherson in the coming days. We will see how how the situation of the situation will allow us, and uh, if everything is fine, I hope we will release another podcast of this city, which is really, uh, you know, we had this every year about its liberation, but now it's living in a very, very harsh conditions, which can, can be compared 
perhaps with Kharkiv in spring. Right? Once again, so this is this was highly pre- so this was predictable in, in a way. So when the Russian troops left Kherson, we were already discussing this opportunity that Russians will shell, and uh, the only way to to for people of Kherson to get rid of Russians is the only way it if Ukrainian troops are successful to 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 push them far away from the city, as it happened with Kharkiv. We do remember how it was happening in Kharkiv. In Kharkiv, where the distance between troops was 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 close, so they were shelling uh, Kharkiv with artillery and with missiles. And when they are a little bit more far far from from that place, they are just not. They can use missiles, but missiles are expensive. Artillery is much less expensive. So one day they will be far enough from Kherson not to be able to reach us with artillery. It will be a very good day for Kherson. But to do so, Ukrainian troops need weapons, need new weapons coming from Western countries just to be able to advance I, we are talking about tanks. We are also t- talking about fighter jets, which are not maybe subject of discussion right now. But this is uh, this will come in in coming and weeks. long range artillery because this is when Kherson is shelled by artillery primarily. This is what is called on military vocabulary counter uh, uh, counter battery f- uh, fire Fight. when basically. You have artillery, your enemy has artillery, and the question is that artillery actually targets the enemy's artillery and who will win in this uh, artillery battle. And this is, of course, very important that Ukrainians have more high-precision and long-range artillery than than Russians do. So, yeah, the the situation in the south is uh, very, very difficult. We will try to visit Mykolaiv in Kherson, but by the way, Mykolaiv was in a much, much more difficult condition uh, a few months ago. So liberation of Kherson did kind of create maybe a little bit more safety for Mykolaiv. So the, it, it proceeds like this. And what we already know from media is that a lot of people are back to Mykolaiv. At least 50,000 people were back to Mykolaiv precisely because there are no more shellings like it was uh, taking place uh, maybe one month ago, maybe one month and a half ago. So liberation of, of Kherson just created this distance between Russian artillery and the city. So and it will happen with Kherson, but uh, later. And so, and everything depends on the, on, in, on if uh, Ukrainian troops are successful on their way of liberation. So what is happening on the front line on the south right now? Russians are afraid that Ukrainians will, of course, Ukrainians will not be uh, going across the Dnieper River in Kherson. It's just impossible or very hard. And uh, Russians are afraid that Ukrainians will go south from the Zaporizhka Oblast, from Zaporizhia to the south. And the key point here is Melitopol, the city of Melitopol, and therefore... Russians are preparing for the fight for Melitopol. It seems they uh, launched a curfew in Melitopol for, I think, for several days, even for maybe for a week. So they really don't want citizens to go uh, to go out. We will see. Zaluzhny announced a an upcoming operation. Whether it will be really this one in the Parisian Oblast um, or not, we will see. Because if Ukrainians proceed to Melitopol. It will cut the Russian 
positions by in two halves uh, in the south. What happened? Uh, let, let's talk about Zelensky's visits, and uh, it was really remarkable when he visited Bakhmut, right? Because Bakhmut, for our listeners, is probably the hottest spot right now uh, in in the in the front line battle. Because Kherson, yeah, it is shelled by the Russians, but th- there is there is kind of this terrorist shelling, as you said. Bakhmut, uh, uh, there is a real fight between the two armies. And uh, we were in our trip uh, close to Bakhmut. We were in uh, Slovyansk uh, between... Uh, we traveled from Izums to Slovyansk. And uh, this is... You can listen to our podcast, Villages That No Longer Exist. This is really an apocalyptic vision. Bakhmut is, I think, is even more difficult. So going there is really something very, very brave on, on the part of uh, of the president. And this is not for the first time he does it, right? I think f- for the first time he he showed this uh, kind of a, a brave character is when he visited Bucha and Erpin just after the liberation when they were not even demined properly. Then he visited Kherson on the second day after liberation or on the third yes, day. Yes, yeah, it was quite Something quite like quick, this. Yeah. What else? He visited Izum very, Izum. very quickly, just on the next but, day but after liberation. But let, let me say, in uh, I think there is a detail which is important here. Bakhmut is a kind of different because uh, before Zensky was visiting places which were liberated. Now he's visiting Bakhmut, which is not liberated, but this is a kind of fortress, it's a metaphor which was used by Zelensky. And my idea is that he, he he would never accept to do so if he had a real doubt that Russians would advance. Imagine. So he's visiting Bakhmut today and just in a couple of weeks, in a week or two weeks, Russians are inside Bakhmut. It will be a real failure. So in a way, it's a good sign for for Ukraine, for Ukrainians, that at least information Zelensky gets from military is that there the are real chances to keep Bakhmut because otherwise it's very, it becomes a kind of symbolic place. So, and if tomorrow it's in Russian hands, it will destroy this, you know, this uh, this image. So, I think that this are uh, because this uh, visit comes together with some good news very specific, t- tiny details about these operations because what is happening in Bakhmut is it's, it's quite quite a small area, but the fight is really intense between Ukrainians and, and, and Russians. And it seems that now Ukrainians are retaking back initiative in Bakhmut. Even if we, we, can, we are not able to, to tell that, that some villages are, are definitely liberated around Bakhmut that there is some kind of spectacular advancement for Ukrainian troops. That's not true. But at least there is some kind of certitude that the Bakhmut will not fall into Russian hands. And for me, this visit was important in this context as well, not only as a demonstration of courage of Mr. Zelensky, but precisely because I would not, I am incapable to imagine such a visit if he knew, the, admitted the possibility that Bakhmut will be will found in the Russians' hands in just in a couple of weeks or even months. That's that's an interesting remark, yeah, because it it makes a difference uh, with Liman, which is close to Bakhmut, which was declared Russian and then was 
taken back by Ukrainians, uh, I don't know, in a week after it was declared Russian or something like this. So when we went to Slovyansk, I think you will agree with me that uh, the progress of Ukrainian army, for example, liberation of Liman, just brought new life to the cities like Slovyansk. Of course, there are still targets for Russian missiles, Russian artillery, but uh, the city... It's really on the front line, but it's living. There are cafes, there are restaurants, there is electricity, there are cars on the streets. Uh, this makes it different from the villages around. And so really, I mean, liberating, Ukrainian liberation brings back uh, life to, to, to the places. Um, what else? So after Bakhmut, Zelensky went to Washington, right? And... Uh, this was also a symbolic visit because first he went to the front line and then he went to the United States, not vice versa. So first he said, okay, guys, I'm with you. I'm with soldiers. I'm with you guys. And uh, Zelensky shows himself as a simple guy who, who goes to the front line and then he goes to United States. And uh, he broke all the protocol rules by not appearing in a suit, by appearing in his usual uh, semi-military clothes. It's not military uniform, by the way, but it's kind of a semi-military thing. And uh, I, By the way, I don't understand why this topic is extremely widely discussed here in Ukraine, but uh, I haven't seen a lot of discussion about that abroad. So Ukrainians were talking about this kind of, of these clothes, not only Zelensky, but I also think, Kuleba. And, I and think it was really, I mean, orchestrated a little bit by, by the Russian trolls and Russian propaganda, because mm -hmm. Russians discussed it very much. Russians, so Russian discussed it very much, saying that look how poor Zelensky looks, and well, he's not really on the level. So they they used this opportunity to bring him down, and I th I think there was something like this. I mean, I I cannot just imagine whom you have to be, how much time you should have to have the discussions in the social networks about this. This is a very stupid thing. Yeah, exactly. But that's why I was just astonished. To say, this is not the real subject. The real, the real story behind that is that this symbolically, and I also think historically, is important. Uh, is it? Uh, many uh, experts were. Com were naming this with this historic one, symbolic one. It looks like a Churchill visit to to United States to see to meet Roosevelt in the forties, right? Which bring a major change to the Second World War. So Churchill was seeking a strong ally and he found it. And Zelensky after ten months already of uh, intense fights going going to United States in seek of support, some more support uh, coming from the United States, and we were talking about patriots. But the thing is that patriots were announced a couple of days before this real. You visit. mean air defense system? Ed, patriots. Pat, pat, patriots. So, patriots one system, one complex was will be arriving to Ukraine shortly. Shortly, maybe in a couple of months, maybe in several months, because it's also a matter of training. But. Uh, if you are attentive, you would also know, know, notice that patriots were announced before the visit. So the subject of the visit was not to demand to ask for patriots, but to do something else. And there were a lot of uh, 
experts talking about about Congress, about this will of Biden to present Zelensky and to, Zelensky to convince this new Congress with a much more um, Republicans inside, which are some of them, some of them, a group of them are much hesitant about helping Ukraine. So uh, Zelensky to be able to convince them, and he was successful, I guess, not not completely, not completely, not definitely, not absolutely. But he was successful because the the ceremony itself was really very good and uh, Zelensky was extremely convincing and by the way he spoke English, which was, uh, I do remember he had quite a big problems to talk to. Yeah, he had problems with Ukrainian at the early, of his, uh, early stage of his presidency. He learned Ukrainian quite well. Now he's learning English. So that also shows his capacity, linguistic capacity as well. So, yeah, so there are, of course, lots of uh, scenes. I'm sure you have seen them with standing ovation in the Congress um, of Zelensky, how he was welcomed. But at the same time, there were articles in the American press saying that, well, did he really convince those doubting um, Republicans? We don't know because many of them, it seems, remain skeptical. Uh, but of course, I mean, I think the the major vis- uh, the major aim of the visit was really to come on the eve of Christmas of the end of the year and say, "Look, guys, uh, we have this story for a long time, and we should be together, prepared for a sustainable work together for United States to to provide sustainable assistance because it it will not end tomorrow." And by the way. The interview of Zaluzhny to The Economist, which was previously published, very sobering and not at all this euphoric as we sometimes see in the publications, in national or foreign. Basically, he was telling, he was, he was reflecting upon the perspectives of the 2023. And in 2023, According to Zaluzhny, and I think it was also maybe private uh, message, uh, not public message of Zelensky as well, will be very, very difficult. So let's keep this in mind and uh, let's keep the fact that uh, we need this support, military support, armed support, really on the sustainable level because Russians do transform their society, their economy into very, very militarized society and economy. They really are preparing also for a long war. Yes, and what uh, intelligence, Ukrainian intelligence is stating right now, they are talking about the high probability that Russia will intensify the all kind of uh, strikes, all kind of ag- aggression during this uh, uh, holidays period, so we will not we will not having good days in the in coming weeks. So when everybody in in the, in the Western world, the people will be on holidays. Nobody cares about no nobody watches television, etc. Nobody cares about Ukraine because this is a kind of a different time, and they will use that time to to send more missiles here and to to do some nasty things as they've already started. Yeah, they want, they, want, they want to make the 
missile fireworks here in Ukraine, unfortunately. So we are really preparing for the missile strikes on, on the New Year day. But let's also maybe um, explain that after these uh, two major strikes uh, last week, uh, our energy st- system is coming back, so coming back alive in a way. So we really had major problems a week ago with 36 hours without electricity connection, running water and heating. This is our case in, in Brovary, but, but uh, in some cases our, our, our friends in Kiev say that there were several days Several days. Uh, continuously without electricity, water, connection, internet, and, and, and everything else. Three yeah, or four days in some Yeah, place. but miracle on the 24th of December, so on the, on the Christmas Day, a lot of people were reporting, as we did, that electricity is back. We didn't have a single electricity cut today in Brovary, at least until 6 p.m. when we left our apartment to our countryside house. So something extremely, something extremely extraordinary. So you have the whole day and you don't have a, a single electricity cut. So this is, it looks like, uh, but it also means that there are some restoration, I don't know, some, some, so they, they are still able to fix all these problems with electricity and to make people enjoy, uh, I don't know, heating, running water and electricity in their homes. So let's come back to this story uh, of um, of sustainable support. Uh, we know that many people in the West are afraid of the World War, World War III, this, the Third World War. We had this impression from, from our trips uh, in November to Germany and France that Despite the support of Ukraine, there are certain glass ceilings, so certain things that people even sympathetic to Ukraine are, find it very difficult to imagine. For example, that uh, Ukraine will hit uh, Russian territories. Well, Ukraine is already doing that, uh, destroying the uh, ammunition depots there, etc. But people are afraid of the Third World War. And uh, people are thinking how to avoid it. So the worst scenario, uh, which will definitely lead to the Third World War, is when Ukraine uh, is defeated, when Ukraine falls. Why? Psychologically for the Russians, they explain this war to themselves, not as the war with Ukraine, but as the war with NATO, as the war with America. Uh, this is what Russian propaganda is telling you, you know, 24-7 all the time, that this is not Ukraine. Because, I mean, it's inimaginable for them that Ukraine has kicked them off from Kherson, that Ukraine kicked them off from Kharkiv Oblast, from Kiev, etc. They cannot accept it. Therefore, they explain to the audience that this this is a big war with NATO, everybody is against us, because we, therefore we, we need to be consolidated. So if Ukraine falls... Uh, this will give a major psychological argument for the Russians. Okay, we have defeated the West in this battle, so we can defeat the West in any other battle. And this will certainly lead to the Third World War because they will say, well, if NATO was not able to defend Ukraine, so why should defend Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic or whatever else? If you want to avoid, this is our strong message to the whole world, if you want to avoid the Third World War, 
you should do everything possible so that Ukraine wins and not will, loses. Yeah, but I would also add another argument because this is not only about Russia. If if you really take this policy of just trying to to locate this war here in Ukraine and not to destroy the enemy, not destroy the aggressor quickly, it also means that and if you let him defeat uh Another country, Ukraine in this case, there's also a quite clear signal to other regimes in the world that, look, there are no rules, that you can do whatever you want if only you have enough weapons. Yeah, weapons. China will, will well, China, whatever. So it's also, it also means that rules are not, are not valid and everybody can do whatever it was. And it's also about nuclear security. My guess, a lot of experts are talk, talking about the fact that much more country, countries will demand nuclear weapons now because everybody understands that if a country has a nuclear weapon, as Russia does, so you can just you can do whatever you want and you need this protection and sometimes, uh, yes, and you need this security guarantees and collective security guarantees because otherwise it's simply not functioning. By the way, another uh, remark of this week was a remark of Emmanuel Macron, a French president, who told who was commenting on the, the on the situation and he told that uh, NATO membership is highly improbable um, for Ukraine in the coming. Uh, days and he was uh, he sounded quite skeptical about this opportunity stating that uh, and why 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 no nato for ukraine because it would provoke russia so once again this old idea we we will never provoke russia as if uh, russia needed to be provoked to annex crimea or to start its occupation in in donbas so this is a extremely dangerous, in fact, way of thinking. And we all understand that without Crimea in 2014, without this, um, I don't know, misunderstanding of what was really happening on the, in the Western countries, Putin will, will never continue this aggression. So we need to stop that here, not only to stop this conflict, but also not to start different conflicts in other parts of the world. And this is a main arg argument as well. As for Macron, uh, with all my respect to the French president, but this guy uh, has used any opportunity to spoil his reputation. I think he's back and forth and his just incapacity to take a clear position is just remarkable. Uh we will just refer you, for those of you who understand French, to another of our podcasts in French, which is called L'Ukraine face à la guerre, and Tatiana um, talk with the famous French philosopher Pascal Bruckner, who talks also about Macron very, very critically. And we think, you know, doing this was a just uh, criticism. So maybe the last topic of this conversation um, in Ukrainian media space, there was there is uh, increasingly serious talk about a possible new invasion from the north. So, uh, starting for, from the interview of Zaluzhny to the Economist, uh, who basically said that this is this is possible, we see the accumulation of troops in Belarus. We see that uh, Putin has come to Lukashenko in Minsk. We see that Lukashenko is coming now to Russia. 
for another visit. So this is two visits, two meetings of these two dictators in, in a week. Uh, so things are maybe going in, a, in in that direction that Belarus really can can join officially Russia, and yes, they and can in, try and, and they will try to attack Kiev once again from the north. Yes, and Institute of Study of War, by the way, published its report one of these days uh, yesterday, I guess, and they were also talking about this risk. This is not about the probability. Probability. This is not about that. This will ha- happen tomorrow. But these are some kind of moves uh, which don't look like uh, training, but they mostly look like preparation. You could interpret it like preparation for something something new and something unexpected. And we all remember then back in November, in January, in November, February, January and February 2022, there was... Um, Ukrainian intelligence was saying that they will they will never attack because they don't have enough forces, and Western intelligence services, Americans and Britain, um, the British were saying about that look they will attack, and sometimes Russians attack when they simply they don't have enough forces, but they do that. So the probable objective for this attack would be Kyiv, maybe, but also there's another option to attack in the direction of Rivne, just in order, in order to, 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 to gain the control over the Rivne nuclear plant. This is also a possible scenario. At that very moment, there is no direct danger to Kyiv or Rivne, but things could change quite quickly, in the coming months and specifically starting from late January, February and March. Putin will need a lot of resources to do so and the Ukrainian army is for sure much better prepared now for any kind of attack from the north. But still, uh, it will need a significant effort on the on the side of Ukrainian army to keep to destroy all these troops, and uh, consequently, uh, Ukrainians will ne- will not have enough of forces in other directions. I mean, in Donbas and in the south. So it could be some kind of also. Um, informational operation on side of Russians, so they are doing everything to make us believe that they would probably attack. And by the way, when Zaluzhny is talking so openly about this new attack, uh, publicly in the in the in the in, in, in an interview to a prominent media, and he knows for sure that everybody will discuss that, and the Russians will discuss that. Could be also a place for some some tricking. So in a way, uh, I. Zaluzhny never announced any kind of operation in Kharkiv, but it took place, right? So this is maybe also to make, it's also art of cheating during the war. So we don't know exactly, it, it could be also this part of operation. But the real danger is that the more, the longer this war lasts, with each day we lose on preparation, asking for more weapons, etc., Russians are preparing. They are not losing their time. As announced by Putin, they will do zornishka, how is it, zornishka, they will prepare slowly and they are not giving up. Yeah, and this is, and this is the problem. Uh, this is the problem. So, of course, uh, uh, I think Ukrainian army is much better prepared, as you say, on the north. Uh, it is also difficult if you if you are prepared, it's difficult to attack from the north because 
it's policia, it's forests and uh, it's uh, uh, it's uh, mods and uh, uh, very very difficult actually very difficult nature for for military operation. But uh, um, this is probably which might happen. And uh, our experience from the last year, when we many of us were skeptical about this, you know. Warnings show us that we should really be preparing for wars. So this was a podcast explaining Ukraine, uh, a podcast of Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist. Uh, my co-host is Tetyana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist director of international outreach of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Don't forget to subscribe to us and don't forget to support us at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We actually devote your assistance for our humanitarian trips to the east, to the south, uh, and we're trying to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders. patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.